Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 13. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist the devil. And having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Thus far in our study about the armor of God, we have put on two of the garments of the armor. We have girded our loins with truth and we have put on the breastplate of righteousness. And now today we're told that we must shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And may we begin our thoughts today by again reaffirming our understanding that as we put on these garments of the armor of God, that we are in reality putting on the very person of Christ himself. We need to keep reminding ourselves of that. Yes, that is a mystical thought, and it's hard to comprehend. But it is nonetheless exactly what is taking place. Romans 13 verse 14, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to glorify, to gratify its desires. So then, again, as we put on truth, Christ himself is the truth. And Christ is our righteousness, that imputed righteousness that we have within us. And now here as we shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, we are again putting on Christ. The word here for preparation is not a word that just means some preparedness that you and I would accomplish. While yes, we should always be prepared, and that's the right thing to do, this particular word preparedness has a deeper meaning. And it's used in this context with the connotation of being a solid foundation. A solid foundation. And the gospel is the solid foundation for salvation. And Jesus, you'll recall, is the cornerstone of that foundation. And then also the shodding of the feet, the visual image of the specially constructed shoes of the Roman soldiers which had hobnails protruding out from the bottom of the soles of those shoes so that as those soldiers would engage in battle, their feet would grip the ground and they would, as these words tell us here, be able to stand firm. Now again, each of these words are very purposeful. God does that. He is very intentional with everything that He gives to us. And He intends a correct understanding of these words. And it ought to be your and my free will desire to respond and ask and to seek and to knock at the door of God to find out deeper meanings of these truths. Why do I say that? It's because so often 
we'll just read through the words and we'll accept them as they're given when they have so much more to say to us. And so I would suggest to you that you spend more time reading these words over and over again and asking the Holy Spirit for His meaning. And now that deeper meaning is especially so for the word that we're talking about here today. That of our giving forth of the gospel. The gospel. So often as we're faced with telling someone about the gospel, instead of our reliance being upon God and upon His provision for words to say, our thoughts immediately will go to self. We're so self-oriented. Similar to that which Moses experienced when God told him to go and tell Pharaoh to let his people go. Moses' response was that he complained that he couldn't speak very well. We get concerned about our ability to say the words right, to give the gospel simply and correctly. But that should never be. That should never be. The power of the gospel is never in our ability to speak it. The power resides in the gospel itself. It is the very power of Christ Himself. And no stammering tongue can stand in its way. Listen to these words from Romans 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Now yes, as believers, you and I should always be diligent in our study of these Scriptures so that we can know them. But that is not, may I say it again, that is not the determining factor in the effectiveness of the words that we will speak. Christ Himself is in this Gospel. And we must simply speak it forth and then let the Holy Spirit do the rest. Don't go back and second guess what we have said. Just ask the Holy Spirit to make it right within the hearts of the people who we spoke those words to. Now next here in this verse, this gospel is called the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace. As I was preparing for this message, I read a Bible study about the gospel of peace and it asked a simple question. What is the gospel of peace? Is the gospel of peace any different from other references to the word gospel? We read about the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of the grace of God. And now here we read about the gospel of peace. Is there any real difference being implied about the gospel? And the answer to that is no. There's a Greek word, eugelion, and it simply means good news. Good news. The difference comes from the context in which it's used. And there's a special context being used here today. But the simple answer concerning the gospel is that it is the good news about Christ, all that He is and all that He has done for each of us through His grace and through His mercy. And that's especially spoken about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where the gospel there is described as His death, His burial, and His resurrection. 
And then through His gospel, you and I gain eternal life for our souls. Listen to these words. I love these words. This is from 1 John chapter 5. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. And listen. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Simple words. Very encouraging to those of us who have the Son. And so we say, praise the Lord. But there's also a warning in here. He who does not have the Son does not have life. And that then brings in the Gospel and the need for it. But here as we consider this word peace, we have to again keep in mind that the type of peace, the kind of peace that God is speaking about here is no ordinary measure of peace. The very person of Christ Himself dwells within this peace. John 14, verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. The world's peace does not compare to this. It's not even of the same kind. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Now peace can often be such an elusive thing for so many, many people. And especially so for those who have not surrendered their hearts to Christ. These scriptures use the word enmity, enmity, to describe the kind of lack of peace that lives within the hearts of those who have not received Christ. That enmity often fills the heart and the mind of a person. Anger and frustration and bitterness fills their lives, influencing and actually controlling so much of what they experience each day. And they don't even know why. They don't even know why it's taking place. They just know that they don't like what they have in front of them. I was listening to an interview on AFA yesterday, interviewing a teenager that was in one of these Christian programs to help her with her response back to her mother. She did not know why she had such animosity within her heart. Thankfully, they were going to be able to tell her why over time. But this verse in Romans 8, listen, this is Romans 8 verse 7. The carnal mind, the unbelieving mind, is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the laws of God, nor indeed can it be. Now, you'll note in these words that the word enmity that's being felt by an unbeliever is most often, though it's directed towards people. Its real problem is with God. Let me read that again. The carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the laws of God, nor indeed can it be. This kind of lack of peace, the kind of lack of peace that I heard in that young lady's voice, that enmity is of a nature that cannot be dealt with through the usual behavior modification programs of our secular world or those programs called anger management. The only cure 
The only cure for this kind of enmity is the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace that Jesus is able to provide. Now again, may I bring our thoughts back to the armor of God and to the reason that we're putting it on. As I said earlier, each day you and I step out onto the battlefield of the world. And we're engaging with people that these scriptures call carnally minded. Some of them, they're strangers, yes. But most of them are our co-workers. Some of them are our closest friends. Some of them even our own family members. But they're suffering all the effects of not having Christ as their Savior. And especially as spoken about here, they're suffering this enmity that may manifest itself towards you or people that you know, family members. But the enmity that's being felt in their heart is really towards God. They don't know that, but that's what's taking place. Why do I say that? It's because the Scripture just said so. They have anger and frustration and bitterness towards people all around them, but they don't even know why. And you and I have to always keep in mind that no matter how much we may want to help them with all of our good intended advice and counsel, we ourselves cannot, cannot fix them. The only effective remedy that we can offer to them is this gospel of peace. The power of the Lord Jesus to come into their lives. Now thankfully some of them will listen. Some of them will respond as you give them the gospel. But then sadly, sadly others will not. But listen, regardless of their response, you and I must keep marching forward with this gospel. That's the essence of this command that we have here concerning this portion of the armor. We are to shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace and then we are to keep pressing on. And our feet have to be similarly shod as to those Roman soldiers where we will not back up even one step. We need to stay hobnailed into the, that solid ground of Christ and pressing on forward. That's the intent of these words to keep on pressing forward and giving this gospel listen to these precious words that ascribe beauty to the feet of those who are willing to carry the gospel of peace onto others this is from Romans 10 beginning in verse 14 how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed and how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. Precious words. There's a special mission organization that you may know about in Fort Worth, Texas. They call themselves Beautiful Feet Ministries. French Camp Academy will take a group of students out there to Fort Worth each year and they'll minister with 
those missionaries by going out onto the streets of Fort Worth and presenting the gospel to anyone who will listen. And also several of the churches in that I know of in the local area send groups out there to do the same. And then Beautiful Feet Ministries also goes out from Fort Worth into other cities and, and even into other countries. And by them pressing on forward with this gospel of peace, they are fulfilling the calling here in Romans 10, verse 15. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. Folks, the gospel truly is good news about salvation and about eternal life that every soul who will believe in Christ can have. What is it, though, that causes people you approach on the street to even want to listen to you and to receive the gospel that you're prepared to give them. Thankfully, that is the part that God's Holy Spirit takes care of. He goes on ahead of your witnessing and He prepares the ground. He's always busy at that work and He's always trustworthy to do it, reaching into every soul and drawing them in the direction of Christ. And so the ground is already prepared. A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite writers, suggests that one of the ways that the Holy Spirit does His work is given in Ecclesiastes 3. There we're told that He, God, has made everything beautiful in its time and He has set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Now note those words carefully. Here in these words, God has just finished giving explanation for so many of the occurrences of life, both pleasant things and very difficult things. Listen, he's just got through saying, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under, the, under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. And he goes on to explain so many other of those occurrences of life. But then right after saying that, he says these words about eternity. He says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Eternity. It's not an easy thing for our natural minds to comprehend. Eternity is that mysterious, unfathomable existence that takes place outside of time, outside of that which we understand to be. A mysterious existence that took place before time actually existed. And then also it's a, a similar mysterious existence that will take place long after time ceases to be. And the manner in which this scripture is worded implies that God has placed a desire within our hearts to know as much as we can about this eternity. We're drawn to know more about it. And not just it's not just an ordinary desire, it's a hungering kind of desire. But strangely, at the same time, God has made the understanding of these realms of eternity unknowable to us. Our minds are helpless to fathom what eternity really is. 
Those words again, He has set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Now may I repeat what I'm saying to us here. The intent within these words is to say that God has intentionally placed an unquenchable hunger within the hearts of men so as to draw them, to draw you and me, all of us, to want to know as much as we can about eternity. What happened before the earth and the universe was formed? But even more importantly, what will happen when it all suddenly ceases to be? When we look around our culture today, we can see only busy minds and busy hands and it sure doesn't look like anyone is is hungering to know about eternity. But they are. They are. Uh, And the responses are different depending upon who they are. The scientific minds search for answers through physics and mathematic calculations and, and all such, trying to find out how this universe and life itself came into existence. And you hear about that all through conversations and, and television programs. Now others form those beliefs and opinions about eternity through sources like Eastern religion. Eastern religion declares that men's spirits have always existed. They're just reincarnated over and over again in different physical forms. Atheists will try to say the same kinds of things, at least make claims that they really don't care about eternity, saying that it doesn't really exist. But sadly, listen, they also do hunger. They just simply name their hungering something else and they suffer without relief. But why is knowing about eternity so important to the human heart? Why is knowing about it? Why do we hunger? It's because the concept of eternity declares to anyone who will listen that there really is time beyond time. Time beyond this last breath that we'll take. Life after death, which then brings a question. If that be so, if there is time beyond my last breath, where will I then be? And what will be my condition of existence? And then with that question comes an element of fear. Fear, and rightfully so. And then therein lies this necessity and also the opportunity for the good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Because in the gospel, all of the mystery of eternity is made clear to us. And for those who will receive it, all those elements of fear will be dispelled because for those who receive the gospel, life after that last breath is happily assured and guaranteed. Because of that, the gospel truly is good news. Good news. Now before we close, and we're running a little late, please bear with me. I want to give one final thought to this matter of shodding our feet with the gospel. First, that it is the gospel alone that God has ordained with the power to save men's soul. The verse I read earlier from Romans 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And then secondly, while it's a simple truth that God Himself really can do all things without any help from us, 
It is also true that in most every circumstance we read about in these scriptures, it is God's custom to use men and angels to carry forward with doing His work. We can see that from accounts with Noah and the ark, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all their many involvements and uh, travels, and with Moses and the children of Israel, and on and on. And now here God has especially done that with the gospel. Listen, He has ordained that it must be our feet, your and my feet, that will carry this gospel to the lost and dying world. His great commission charges us that that which we have received, we are to turn around and give it right back out again, that we're to go ye into all the world and to preach this gospel to anyone who will listen. Start it with your own family members, your co-workers, your friends. Listen to these words as we close. Go ye, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Praise the Lord. Let's pray.